We now know of thousands of confirmed exoplanets with many more candidates. And there are now dozens of planet hunting telescopes on Earth and in space using a range of techniques to find tens of thousands more. There's a new class of instruments and missions in the works that will give us an incredible understanding about the planets orbiting other stars. And one of these will be the one to find Earth 2.0. Let's define Earth 2.0 for a second. We're talking about a planet that's roughly the size of Earth with roughly the mass and density of Earth that's orbiting within the habitable zone of a sun-like star where water can remain liquid on its surface. Bonus points if you can actually study its atmosphere and see if it's a good place for life. You could have a planet that's the same size as Earth, but with a much lower density, and it wouldn't be anything like Earth. Maybe it's mostly made of water or has a fluffy atmosphere. You could have a world with the same mass as Earth, but have a much different size and density. Both Venus and Mars are located within the Sun's habitable zone, and they both really suck. When we do find a planet that we think is an actual twin of the Earth, we want to be sure. Today, I'd like to give you a glimpse forward at the missions in the works to hunt for planets and try to guess when we'll finally discover Earth 2.0. When NASA's Kepler mission launched in 2009, it carried the hopes and dreams of exoplanet researchers to space with them. This was the most sensitive, dedicated, planet-hunting telescope ever launched, with the capability of finding Earth-sized worlds orbiting sun-like stars. Kepler watched a single region of space, seeing how the light from 150,000 stars like the Sun changed over time. It was looking for that regular dip of light when a planet passed in front of the star. But disaster struck in 2013 when a second reaction wheel failed on the spacecraft, ending its ability to orient itself and do any more observations on the region it was studying. Engineers developed an ingenious solution to let Kepler still do science, finding planets around cooler red dwarf stars. Following up to Kepler was TESS, the Transiting Exoplanet Survey Satellite, launched in 2018. TESS is designed to watch the entire sky, looking for that slight dimming when a planet passes in front of its star. Over the course of its two-year primary mission, it's expected to find more than 20,000 exoplanets. There's no reason why it won't last for many more years. It'll be able to find super-Earths orbiting in the habitable zones of sun-like stars and Earth-sized worlds around red dwarf stars, and maybe, just maybe, an Earth-sized world going around a sun-like star. But here's the thing. Kepler and TESS are transiting surveys. They can find Earth-sized worlds, but they can't find Earth-mass worlds, and more on that in a bit. So what's next? Near the end of 2019, the European Space Agency will be launching the CHEOPS mission, or Characterizing Exoplanet Satellite. I apologize in advance for all the acronyms. I'm going to be rattling off at you in this episode. The purpose of this mission will be to study stars that are already known to contain planets to try and refine their characteristics with even more precision. It should be able to measure the radii of planets orbiting other stars from super-Earths and larger. In other words, 
If your mission, like TESS or Kepler, has already found a planet, CHEOPS will do the follow-up observations to confirm it, to give you all the nitty-gritty details about the planet. CHEOPS will just turn from star to star, watching at exactly the right moment to see the planet pass in front of the star, record the data, and then move on. It won't be discovering planets, it'll be confirming and studying known planets. And again, it's a transit instrument, which means that it can tell size, but not mass. The next planet hunting mission also comes from the European Space Agency, and it's called PLATO, or the Planetary Transits and Oscillations of Stars. Due for launch in 2026, the purpose of PLATO will be to find terrestrial exoplanets in the habitable zones of solar-type stars. PLATO will be bristling with telescopes, lenses, and cameras. It will have 24 cameras organized into four groups with six lenses per telescope, filling 104 CCDs with astronomical data. It will see a simultaneous view, 2,232 square degrees of the sky. In other words, it'll be able to see about 1 20th of the entire sky at the same time. Just like Kepler and Tess, it'll use photometry, measuring the light from stars very carefully to notice the occasional dimming when a planet passes in front of a star. It comes with the same downside, however, that it won't be able to determine the masses of the planets directly. If all goes well, Plato will launch from ESA's launch facility in French Guiana in 2026, and then it'll begin a four-year mission. It'll observe two separate fields of the sky for two years each, sending data home so other telescopes and missions can do follow-up observations. There should be enough fuel on board for at least eight years. So imagine Plato as an extreme version of TESS, but capable of finding smaller planets. It'll be able to find planets with the same size as Earth, but it won't know if they're made of the same stuff. Ground and space-based observatories will need to do the follow-on observations to measure the planet masses. After Plato comes Ariel, another mission that will be launched by the European Space Agency in 2028. Of course, it's an acronym. Ariel stands for the Atmospheric Remote Sensing Infrared Exoplanet Large Survey. Hopefully, you noticed an important word there, atmospheric. Ariel will study the atmospheres of planets orbiting other stars. All right, first the technical details. Ariel will be reminiscent of Kepler. It'll have a single meter class primary mirror that will collect visible and infrared light. It'll then use an incredibly precise spectrometer to spread out the light from the star to study its chemical fingerprint. It'll see what the star looks like normally and then watch how that fingerprint changes as the planet passes in front. The changes will be due to the atmosphere of the planet. It'll be so precise that it can measure how the clouds are changing on the surface of the planet as it's passing in front of the star. Ariel will launch in 2028 and fly to the Earth-Sun L2 Lagrange point, joining James Webb and several other missions, and will begin with a four-year primary mission to study the atmospheres of a thousand planets. Astrobiologists are hard at work trying to figure out what kinds of atmospheres would provide concrete evidence that a planet contains life. And these are known as biosignatures. For example, the presence of oxygen in the Earth's atmosphere was created by life. 
It turns out figuring out definitive biosignatures is actually pretty tough. Now we've done a whole episode on this, which I'll link to here and in the show notes. Ariel might not be the mission that actually finds life, but it'll set the groundwork for future missions that can. Speaking of, have you noticed that all of these have been European missions? Cheops, Plato, and Ariel. What about NASA? NASA has a big mission in the works too, maybe. As part of its 2020 decadal survey, NASA asked scientists to build their wish list of scientific questions they wanted answered. And one of the priorities was a mission capable of resolving the atmospheres of Earth-sized worlds orbiting within the habitable zones of sun-like stars. In other words, they want to be able to study the atmosphere of Earth 2.0. And the mission will be called HABEX. We're looking a long way into the future now, into the 2030s at least. Assuming everything comes together, HABEX would have a 4 meter main mirror capable of seeing several wavelengths, from near infrared through visible to ultraviolet. Imagine a beefed up Hubble. The key difference though is that HABEX will be equipped with two special pieces of equipment that block the light from a star, allowing the fainter planets around it to be revealed an image directly. One of these instruments, a coronagraph, will use fancy tricks of light, blocking the light from the star and interfering its light with itself to remove all traces of it. Now there are versions of these on several ground-based telescopes already. But the second piece of equipment is called a starshade, and it looks like a huge flower that will float 124,000 kilometers away from the HABEX telescope perfectly blocking the light from the star, allowing the planets to be imaged separately. During its mission, the spacecraft would be expected to discover at least a dozen Earth-sized worlds as well as larger and smaller planets orbiting other stars. It could study their atmospheres, looking for water vapor, molecular oxygen, and whatever biosignatures astrobiologists eventually figure out. For the closest planets, it could even detect the presence of surface liquid water. It could see oceans on planets orbiting other stars. But there's a problem. Direct imaging of planets will let you measure their atmospheres and even see that water on their surfaces, but it won't tell you their mass or their size. Again, you won't know if you're actually looking at an Earth 2.0. At this point, we've talked about transiting survey telescopes that tell us how big a planet is but not how massive it is. And we've talked about direct imaging of planets, which tells us about their atmospheres, but not their mass and size. There's one more technique in the astronomer's tool belt that'll bring it all together. And we'll talk about that in a second. But first, I'd like to thank a group of patrons who supported me for over six years. Wow. Cole Palmer, Michael Friedman, Bill Christian, Craig Landon, and Helga Bjorkog. Thank you for your ongoing support. Thank you for helping me make videos for six years. And thank you to the rest of our 795 patrons for their generous support. If you love what we're doing and you want to get in on the action, head over to patreon.com slash universe today. The techniques I mentioned before will help, but they won't provide the definitive answer to the question Where's Earth 2.0? And it's another method that's necessary to estimate the mass of a planet. 
the radial velocity technique. It was the radial velocity method that helped discover the hot Jupiter orbiting around 51 Pegasi in 1995. Astronomers measured the star being yanked back and forth at a velocity of up to 70 meters a second, about 250 kilometers per hour, and this allowed them to precisely measure the mass of its planet. There are several radial velocity instruments on various ground-based instruments right now, but none are powerful enough to detect a planet with the mass of Earth orbiting a sun-like star. Most recently, there's the NUOD spectrograph that was attached to the 3.5 meter wind telescope at the Kitt Peak National Observatory. NUOD can detect motion as subtle as 27.5 centimeters a second. So just under a foot a second or about the speed a baby crawls, it's capable of detecting larger planets orbiting sun-like stars. A similar instrument called the Habitable Zone Planet Finder was recently installed on the 10-meter Hobby Eberly Telescope at McDonald Observatory in Texas, and it's able to find Earth-like planets orbiting within the habitable zones of red dwarfs and measure their mass. There's also the Espresso instrument on board the European Southern Observatory's Very Large Telescope. The light from all four 8.4-meter telescopes can be merged together to act like a single instrument finding rocky planets around red dwarf stars or Neptune-mass planets around larger stars. Now the Earth pulls the Sun back and forth with a velocity of about 9 centimeters a second. So in order to make measurements that precise, much bigger telescopes are going to be necessary. And fortunately, much bigger telescopes are coming. The first one to be completed will be the Giant Magellan Telescope in Chile, which is expected to see first light in 2025. And this telescope will be 24.5 meters across and have about 10 times as much resolving power as the Hubble Space Telescope. In addition to its monster mirror and various instruments, the GMT will be equipped with an instrument called the GMAGAO-X, or the Extreme Adaptive Optic System on the Giant Magellan Telescope. And this will use deformable mirrors to correct for turbulence in the Earth's atmosphere, as if the telescope was in space. It'll be able to resolve objects the size of a dime more than 100 kilometers away. It'll be able to directly observe nearby exoplanets in reflected light from their star. It'll scan the atmospheres of those planets, searching for evidence of biosignatures. And it will be able to make radio velocity measurements sensitive enough to see that Earth-sized world orbiting the sun-like star in the habitable zone and determine the mass. All of the new monster telescopes under construction will have the similar capabilities. The 39-meter extremely large telescope will have its EPIC system due to be complete in 2025. It will directly observe and make radio velocity measurements. The 30-meter telescope in 2027 will have its multi-conjugate adaptive optic system. Again, another tool capable of directly imaging Earth-sized worlds around other stars. In the end, it looks like it's going to be a collaboration. A transiting survey like Plato is going to find a candidate planet that's the right size orbiting a sun-like star. A mission like Ariel or Habex is going to make direct observations to make sure it's made of the right stuff. And then a ground-based monster telescope like the Giant Magellan Telescope or the Extremely Large Telescope 
it's going to confirm the mass using the radial velocity method. What I'm saying is, probably still looking at another decade or so before we can finally say that we found Earth 2.0. But then we'll have all the tools in place to find lots of them. Announcements of other Earths will become as routine as exoplanet discoveries are today. So it'll be worth the wait. What do you think? Let me know your thoughts in the comments. Once a week, I gather up all my space news into a single email newsletter and send it out. It's got pictures, brief highlights about the story, and links so that you can find out more. Go to universetoday.com newsletter to sign up. And all of my videos are also available in a handy audio podcast format so that you can have our latest episodes show up right on your audio device. Go to universetoday.com audio to get it on your device. I'll put a link in the show notes. And now, here's a playlist.